welcome to this, the second edition of Spindrift, the column where I take an interest in items of news reported in newspapers, television programmes, the odd rumour or simply idle gossip and distil the essence into something that may actually resemble the truth. Or maybe we'll simply have some fun with the facts. Firstly, the headlines. Scottish Parliament chiefs are stunned by the news that the cost for the new Parliament building has escalated to £430 million sterling. They are wringing their hands, looking around for people to blame. Yet, they only have to look into the mirror. They wriggle and wriggle as the costs climb. Of course, as I predicted in the last edition of Spindrift, the closing costs of the new Parliament will climb to half a billion pounds. And this figure is now starting to be mentioned in Scottish national newspapers as the finishing cost of the building. By the way... These are the same newspapers that I circulated with the first edition of this column, which also happened to mention the magic sum of half a billion pounds. Now, I have to confess, I am still shaking my head at this cost. This is a sum of money my mind honestly struggles to comprehend. In the last edition, I also mentioned a new town consisting of 10,000 council houses at a cost of £50,000 each that could be built for the same amount of money. A correspondent has been somewhat sceptical as to the cost of building a council house in Scotland, stating £50,000 wouldn't build a dog kennel in London. That may well be, but I am talking about Scotland. Lest you think this amigo sum for a house... I currently live in an ex-council house in Fife with three bedrooms, which is valued at £40,000. Draw from that what you will, but I can assure everyone that if these 10,000 houses were available to let at this very moment, they would be filled before the day was out. As a postscript to that, I heard Jack McConnell, the First Minister of the Scottish Parliament, stating that his administration was going to actively encourage people to leave their homelands in Europe and move to Scotland. I imagine he needs more people to move here in order to pay for the new Parliament building. Moving on. I was lucky enough to finish as a runner-up in a photographic contest recently, and my reward was a Sunday lunch for two at a local hostelry. A lunch which I thoroughly enjoyed last week. My partner Hilda eyed my starter course askance. For the first time since I was a child, I was going to enjoy mussels. Hilda was not the only one eyeing my delicacy with distaste, and I heard the whisper, Ugh, that's horrible, looks like snotters. When I was a child, living in Edinburgh with my granny, mussels were on the menu nearly every day. Come Sunday morning, and we all caught a tram car and went to the outskirts of Edinburgh to a place called Joppa. There, we spent the entire day gathering mussels from the rocky foreshore, enough to last us the week, before catching the tram home, laden down with our treasure. When we got home, we would all check to see that the creatures were all alive. 
as a sore stomach could result if a dead one was cooked and later consumed. The weekly ritual ended with the mussels being put on to boil in salted water, whilst we enjoyed our weekly treat. Every Sunday evening, we dined royally on bread and dripping, which was liberally coated with salt. Delicious. I still salivate at the thought. The dripping was bought for next to nothing from the local butcher and was the congealed fat that gathers in the bottom of the huge beef roasting tins. This harvest was then spread onto thick slices of freshly baked bread that had just been removed from the kitchen range. Mmm. As you can probably gather from all that, we were a poor family. But no poorer than all of our neighbours, I hasten to add. Now, I don't know whether it's looking at the world through rose-tinted glasses, but those were the days when our parents, or in my case my granny, could let us play in the streets without a care in the world. They let us run free for the entire day without worrying about whether we were going to be snatched by perverts or worse. I was lucky enough to live in a tenement directly opposite the Queen's Park, Ten steps outside of our front close, and I was playing on the swings in the park. Our near neighbour, when she was in residence, was the Queen. And of course, her residence was the Palace of Holyrood. I even went to primary school in the Royal Mile. I digress. Back to the meal. When Hilda and I had finished our starter course, the waitress came across to clear our dishes. She was handling the dishes very gingerly, with obvious distaste, something that never escaped my partner. There ensued a lively debate between the pair, with Hilda expressing her disgust at the muscles, and the waitress assuring her that she wasn't alone in her revulsion of the dish. "'I can't stand clearing away the empty plates,' she said, fixing me with a reproachful stare." I looked at her defensively and told her that this was the first time I had eaten mussels since I was nine years old, telling her that was all we could afford to eat. She sniffed and said, I don't care how poor we were, I wouldn't put that muck in my mouth. I'd rather have bread and jam. I looked at her and said innocently, You could afford jam? She stared at me, then burst out laughing guffawing all the way to the kitchen with the plates, muttering and shaking her head. You could afford jam, along with another peal of laughter. The thing was, I wasn't kidding. There has been a rash of cretinous vermin recently, going to airports to catch flights to far-flung places. These people think it very funny to tell airline staff that they have a bomb in their luggage. Ha ha ha, what a jolly jape! We recently had one such incident in Glasgow Airport, and there have been others throughout the country. We in Scotland have long memories, and still remember the horrendous day when an airliner was blown out of the sky onto the village of Lockerbie with all the attendant loss of life. It took weeks for all the body parts to be recovered. These cockroaches 
should be given the option of assisting police and other emergency services at accident sites for six months, with the alternative of spending that time in prison with no parole. Apparently, Telewis Broadband is testing new technology, promising to allow computer users to smell their emails in the future. The company is working with devices called scent domes that release an aroma into the air that is linked to the message. The gadget, expected to cost in the region of £250, plugs into a broadband-connected computer in the same way as a printer or scanner, and has a choice of 20 basic aromas that can be mixed up to produce 60 different smells. However, the company assures us that more than 2,000 smells could be available in the future. If that scenario comes to pass, then I imagine it will only be a short step until the scents permeate every facet of the internet. If we take that to its logical conclusion, my article in the last edition of Spindrift about the Thames sewage being exported to Scotland might have proved overpowering. Come to think about it, sewage is one of the lesser terms that spring to mind about the majority of emails that I delete off my internet server. This is one example of technology that I'll happily forego. Do you want to be a spy? MI5, the home security service, is looking to recruit lots of them. Do you have what it takes? Can you keep a secret? Do you promise not to tell? I have to say that to my eyes, the secret services in Britain are making themselves a laughingstock throughout the world. Perhaps the running of the secret services, surely that's an oxymoron itself. We know more about them than we do about the local branch of Woolworths. Perhaps we would be better served if they were privatised by Heinz or some of the other long-lived companies who have managed to keep the recipes for their foodstuffs secret for all these years. First, we have Catherine Gunn revealing secrets to a newspaper. The Patriots working on that particular newspaper nearly breaking their communal necks in their haste to reveal them to the world. Then, we have the miffed. Claire Short, claiming that British agents spied on United Nations Secretary General Kofi Annan in the run-up to the war on Iraq. Not only have this unsavoury pair ignored the Official Secrets Act, and Claire Short is the worst in this regard, to my view, having been a Minister of the Crown, but they have also dealt mortal wounds to the feminist, or female, cause. I do know this much. There will be many potential employers looking through jaundiced eyes at females applying for high-flying posts now and wondering to themselves if they will be able to trust these people with the innermost secrets of their company, agency, cabinet or whatever. They will think long and hard about these official secrets episodes and then think about the old adage, a woman scorned. Moving swiftly along, 
that which is lost shall be found. If I remember my Bible correctly, that quotation appears in the parable of the lost sheep. I can hear eyes blinking in surprise. Spindrift quoting from the Bible. Well, not quite. More a matter of paraphrasing, and it's to do with the loss of a village in Aberdeenshire. Brigadoon, I hear you cry in anticipation. Well, not exactly. It's all to do with the village of Lost, which lies beside the River Don in Aberdeenshire, which is having its name changed. Apparently, this is being done to foil dastardly souvenir hunters who keep pinching the signs. The council got fed up looking for Lost to be found. The sign, that is. Apparently, visitors to the village would pose for photographs beside the sign, whilst pointing to maps with a look of bewilderment on their faces. But that wasn't good enough. Oh no. Out would come a screwdriver and some spanners, and another sign for lost would be, well, lost. The council officials have now had enough of replacing the sign for the village it having been purloined four times in the last five years. Indeed, one replacement lasting for only a week. And no, they are not going to change the name to Found, although that would have been good. No, the new name is going to be Lost Farm. Um, perhaps my brain is a bit woolly today. I don't seem to be getting a handle on this concept of changing the sign of the village of Lost to Lost Farm. Won't visitors to the area stumble across this nice little village with the quaint name of Lost Farm? Pose beside the sign and look at a map with bewilderment, then take a screwdriver and some spanners out of a bag, and another sign for Lost Farm would be, well, lost. It's almost like deja vu, isn't it? I could swear I just said that. Spindrift will be watching this saga with interest. Perhaps in a couple of years they will call the village Brigadoon. Just think of the prospects of tourism then. What's that? You don't think that particular sign will last long either? If that's the case, then why not make the sign out of a huge granite boulder, there's plenty enough of them around, with the name engraved on it? Not only would it look very impressive, just think of the logistics of stealing it. Well, that's it for this edition of Spindrift. So, from my lofty eerie on top of the fourth road bridge, I will keep an eye out for more gossip, and I will be back. Don't forget, Spindrift. This is Kenneth J. Matthews. Bye.